Hello, I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. As a note to our learners, we will begin publishing our educational series only once a week beginning in July. Please continue to join us on our full-length live and on-demand webinars as we continue to learn more about COVID-19. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objective is to discuss the benefit of the castorivimab and devimab combination in patients hospitalized with COVID-19 who lacked SARS-CoV-2 antibodies at enrollment. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Dr. Allwater, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much, Faith, and uh, uh, delighted um, you're joining uh, us today for one of our COVID-19 uh, uh, programs. There's no doubt most people are by now very familiar with the dramatic decrease in the number of COVID-19 cases. Now, Thinking back to a year ago, this also happened during the summer, but clearly uh, one can see this has accelerated and the decline is more than we had seen uh, a year ago, no doubt due to immunizations. If you look at uh, uh, people uh, across the country in terms of who's been immunized, you can see uh, over uh, half have uh, been fully immunized, although there's variability in states in terms of um, uh, achieving these goals, but the, the administration's goal of having 70% of uh, people in the United States 18 and up immunized by the 4th of July, I think uh, uh, most people acknowledge that we won't reach this. However, part of the urgency has been the viral variants, which of course have been part of the news for a while. But if you look at the United States, uh, typically the areas that are going to be more orange, more red, more purple, are where there's higher percentages of continued testing with high positivity rates. Uh, so this would be states that might have, or counties, uh, with more than 5% testing positive and so on. Uh, the number of cases still more than 10 or 20 per 100,000 per day. And the states that have these colors tend to be the ones with the lower immunization rates. And the concern of course is if, even though the numbers are dramatically down, from a numerical standpoint, uh, additional mutations can arise and what we're seeing in countries worldwide are especially vaccines that uh, perhaps are not as protective, including inactivated vaccines uh, from China, are having outbreaks despite 
achieving high rates of immunization, for example, in Bahrain, similar issues seen in Brazil, that perhaps against these variants, uh, there are problems. Now, within the United States, this slide is the most current, but it still reflects um, uh, data from over a month ago, where the variant that is now called the alpha variant, the 117, uh, made up most cases. But the more compelling concern, and the reason you're hearing some of our public health officials commenting on the need to continue getting people immunized is the Delta variant is now up to 20% of cases. Now, the Delta variant is the uh, 617.2. This is the variant that appears to be so common in India and in other countries, as well as the United Kingdom, and uh, very quickly supplanted the Alpha or the 117 variant. So uh, there's a concern that this new variant will supplant the earlier ones. And this um, Delta variant appears to be even more transmissible than the Alpha variant. Uh, whether it's more virulent is less clear, but uh, this is a concern. Now, there may not be uh, much ease uh, in convincing uh, people to be immunized, but of course, this kind of approach now, rather than mass immunization, is much more on the door-to-door -door and trying to convince people on a one-to-one um, -one basis. Uh, there were uh, news stories recently where Anthony Fauci and Muriel Bowser, who is the mayor of Washington, C, uh, both went door-to-door -to, -door to try to talk to people uh, and convince them. Now, uh, this is all on prevention, of course, and trying to make sure the pandemic continues its positive trend. Some additional information has come out that I think is very interesting. And this is uh, the uh, monoclonal antibody cocktail, castorivimab and indivimab, which is already with an EUA for um, treatment of outpatients. But this is a trial, uh, a large one from a recovery, the pragmatic trial in the uh, United Kingdom that uh, was a randomized trial um, uh, looking at uh, patients who received this with the primary outcome of a 28-day mortality among seronegative patients, meaning patients that typically by um, uh, haven't mounted immune response, which means they're probably in the first week of their symptoms versus all patients. And um, on average, the seronegative patients that uh, received the drug had seven days of symptoms uh, uh, day nine for all comers here, as you can see. And this might be a little later than what might be typically so in the United States. But uh, importantly, if you looked at the seronegatives, you see the monoclonal antibody cocktail did have an uh, uh, impact on mortality. You see these curves, um, although this was uh, mitigated in all participants because you had the seropositives that may have already uh, engendered, um, uh, 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 engaged their immune system, but were more in that hyperinflammatory phase where these monoclonal antibodies probably have little impact. Now, my view from this is, I think this helps reinforce the idea that here, even in the United States, that if you have people early into symptom onset, and this is more in three, four, or five days, especially if they have uh, weaker immune systems, there may be a role for a high titer convalescent plasma, or if this uh, particular Regeneron uh, combination cocktail uh, also receives EUA approval for use uh, in the United States. 
And then if you look quickly at some subgroups here, you can see for 28 day mortality, again, uh, just a, a different view for uh, about a 20% reduction in mortality that appeared to be significant. Uh, discharge also appears favorable along with uh, uh, heading off uh, invasive uh, mechanical ventilation needs as well as death on the lower. Again, if uh, probably people are earlier or those that are just not mounting immune responses. So I think there is a clear cut role for antibody based therapies. The questions that remain, especially if this is given um, license with EUA for treatment in the United States are not everyone benefits. And so uh, for example, can we get rapid assessment uh, and seronegativity or do we only treat people in that first week of illness and so on remains to be seen. Another angle that I think is increasingly interesting are the large number of uh, trials that have used immunomodulators uh, to help impact that second week of uh, illness that's more hyperinflammatory. Uh, previous programs, we've discussed baricitinib. This is a uh, similar oral drug, ginase uh, kinase inhibitor, JAK1 and 2, called uh, tofacitinib. Uh, that again uh, downregulates uh, the intracellular pathways that cytokines would otherwise activate. Um, and uh, this uh, particular trial published recently in the New England Journal uh, was conducted, I believe, in Brazil. Um, and we're given to patients hospitalized, but not yet in the ICU or needing non invasive mechanical ventilation. And they received this compound twice daily for two weeks with the reduced dose if they were had renal insufficiency. And nearly 90% um, uh, received steroids as part of standard of care. The primary outcome, as in many of these trials, is a combination of death or respiratory failure. And here uh, you can see uh, the primary outcome uh, showed a nearly 40% reduction that was statistically significant and uh, uh, better uh, seen perhaps by the graphs with the insect graph, nearly a magnification. Um, although on a secondary endpoint, uh, death only was not sufficiently powered for outcome. Importantly, this trial uh, in Brazil, many patients did not uh, get remdesivir, which is not widely used there. Uh, so a bit unclear how this might manifest. Put into context with uh, two uh, trials, which uh, we've known about earlier with baricitinib, the ACT2 trial showed a one-day improvement when it was used only with remdesivir. Uh, many people were at this point in time were not on steroids. The more recent COVE barrier trial uh, suggested that uh, patients that um, were on high flow oxygen or heading in the ICU uh, did have an improvement um, along with an improvement in all-cause mortality here that were secondary endpoints, although primary endpoints were not met, which uh, as we've discussed in earlier programs, is a bit of a mystery, uh, but, but suggests that uh, these drugs, in addition with steroids, may have complementary action. And how this might work and whether um, it should supplant tocilizumab, which is a more targeted and um, uh, specific uh, inhibitor of uh, IL-6 receptors is unclear. There's uh, perhaps more data with tocilizumab uh, than these uh, Janus kinase inhibitors. Uh, but again, I think uh, it could be, we don't have uh, comparative trials to really say one's better than the other. So uh, uh, I think tocilizumab has sort of been in the lead because there's more uh, familiarity with it, but it'd be lovely to have a, 
head-to-head trial to see if one might truly be a better uh, use than other, especially if it's a more uh, broadly uh, immunomodulatory compound as these inhibitors are. So Faith, I think we have a couple of questions this week. Yes, we do. Our first question is, will we be able to modify and distribute mRNA COVID-19 vaccines quickly enough to keep up with the spread of variants, such as the Delta one? So uh, I know uh, the mRNA vaccine manufacturers have already uh, stated such that they could change production in as little as six weeks. I know Moderna specifically is building new production facilities uh, to deal with the need for booster doses. I think it remains unclear if there's a sufficient immune um, a breakthrough, I'm sorry, of the immune responses to the existing vaccines that will need boosters. I think it remains an open question. But these companies are preparing now how fast these can be manufactured to the degree of tens and hundreds of millions, I think, uh, optimally means there will be a delay. The question is, when do you throw the trigger? Do you throw it in anticipation? Um, or do you uh, wait until you have evidence? And I, I think this is something that uh, we'll be looking at fairly carefully, especially in countries that are more fully immunized, uh, such as uh, Israel and some of the smaller countries that have uh, good uh, public health systems that have gotten these vaccines on a timely basis, as opposed to the UK where they've been spread out. So uh, this is a, a highly interesting area and one which will be uh, uh, some uh, 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 interest I am finding whether uh, you do something on a prevention basis, which I think many people uh, would not be too enthusiastic, meaning you're going to get a booster thinking we might need it, as opposed to having a more clear-cut need. Okay, and the next question, why is Oxford University investigating ivermectin in their principle, and how soon could we see preliminary data from this? You know, ivermectin has had its proponents mainly based on test tube studies, in vitro studies, uh, that suggested it inhibits viral replication. There have been some very small pilot studies, uh, as well as observational or retrospective studies suggesting benefit. Um, uh, some have uh, used it quite widely, for example, in India, because of the lack of access to uh, more traditional and recommended uh, care. Uh, the, the best trial that I know of was called the uh, EPIC trial out of uh, the country of Colombia in South America with mild COVID, where there is really no benefit in those that got the drug for five days versus placebo as part of treatment. Although some have criticized the trial as those were generally younger patients and there may have been some blinding uh, issues. So uh, perhaps as always, it's not unreasonable to do another carefully and well-performed trial uh, to see. Uh, personally, I think these kind of drugs uh, that uh, inhibit more cell um, uh, uh, synthesis of uh, new RNA and proteins are not as uh, effective as targeted antivirals. Uh, so we may have an additional trial here. And I think that's probably the rationale to see if there can be something that uh, is a bit larger uh, to see if there's any benefit of, since there is an unmet need for an oral antiviral at this time. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed.
To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Dr. Allwater, thank you again and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Faith, and thank you uh, so much for joining uh, this weekly series and uh, uh, please stay tuned for additional programs or uh, feel free to look into the library for earlier topics.